Hello and welcome to Renewing Hope Church in Oceanside, California, where our mission is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. We pray that this episode will both challenge and encourage you to love more. And now, here's today's episode. Today is my third message on identity, and for those who weren't here for the last couple weeks, I'll just kind of summarize and recap uh, message one and two. So message one was our identity before God, and we don't really think about it, but we're born an enemy of God because our natural inclination is to do what he says not to do. (laughs) Uh, And as I always say, you don't have to teach your children to be bad. It comes very naturally. Um, So... And so because of that, we're, we're born an enemy of God and in, in, in how we revolt against him. But then he offers us this opportunity to become a part of his family. And the other two options that would, we can become is an invalid or an heir. And an invalid is someone who, who is physically unhealthy and so they're not productive. And, and so if the, the message of the gospel just hits your head, you'll really white knuckle trying to be a good Christian for a couple years, and that'll last. And then you'll burn out, and then you won't care, and then you'll just turn into an invalid, um, which is never good. And that's like the, the servant uh, with the talent. He buries his talent in the ground because he just kind of gives up and says, you ask too much, I can't do this. This is an impossible task. The third option, which is what I hope all of us are, is an heir. And to be an heir of God is mind-boggling because why would we inherit what Christ inherits when we did nothing to deserve it and to be a co-heir of Christ? So that was message one. And then message two was looking at the reality of what this looks like when we're born into a new family and, and like, like an orphan who lives in an orphanage, if, if they become a part of a new family, like Annie was the example I used, it's like she gets this new name and this new identity and her whole world changes. Um, and the reality of you know, having all these hang-ups from our parents, and we all have them, whether we weren't loved enough or cared enough or some of our parents abandoned us or were mean to us, and we have all these ideas of parenting, and, and we have these hang-ups that cause all kinds of problems today. And, um, but as a Christian, who are your parents now? And, and that's, that's the question is, what's your identity now? Like, what is your value now? Like, what does your father say about you now that you're one of his children. And so the reality of becoming a a child of God and and a co-heir of Christ, that we inherit his name, that we're baptized into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So then today's message is called Identity, Living It Out. And so as we take that truth, okay, we have all this truth of we're part of God's family and we have this new inheritance, But we all have lives to live. And so what's the most practical way that we can all walk that out? Um, So what does it look like, right? What does this truth look like of living this new identity out? So number one, uh, Jesus is our big brother. So and that's not my opinion. That is the word of God. So Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So Jesus was the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. He came first to set the example. Number two, as our big brother, Jesus, like I said, set the example on how to live. 
1 John 2, 5, and 6. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So our lives should look like Jesus. So what does walking like Jesus actually look like? Ephesians 4, 15. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Truth in love. This is how we live. This is our mission. So truth has to be the foundation of our religion of our belief system. And, and if you've ever seen uh, a foundation of a house, and there's a picture of it up on the screen, a foundation is crucial to a building a house, right? So that is our, our analogy of truth. Truth is rigid. It's hard. It does not move. It's solid. Um, but it is also painful if you fall into it or, I mean, it's like cement is, that's what I used to say when I was skateboarding all the time is like, man, skateboarding, cement is not giving. It, it like, when you land, it hurts and surfing is so much better for that because water is much more comforting when you fall. Um, and I have this memory, one of my earliest memories when my parents bought a house when I was five in Cardiff, uh, the, the foundation was still bare and I, I ran and I, I tripped and I, and I fell on my knee on this thing and I had this scar to this day because the foundation was like so hard and it, it messed up my knee. So truth being rigid and hard, uh, it's, it has to be, right? But it's not very like warm and welcoming. You know, if I just have the foundation of my house and I say, hey, you guys want to come over for dinner, you know, this week and we can have a, a supper on, on my foundation. Like, ah, no thanks, I'm good. Like, I'll, maybe next time, you know? So, so truth is one of those things that it's, it's not very welcoming to, to a lot of people today. But it's essential. That's what our faith is built on. And so then love is the home that's built on the foundation of truth. Now, this picture of a home is much more welcoming, right? So that is inviting. So love is what is inviting to people. It's what says, hey, come have dinner with me. This is how the message of truth has to be conveyed. It has to come with love or it's offensive to people. Love is inviting. But if you only have love with no truth or a house with no foundation, right? So if you're just all about love, like hippies in the 60s, like, you know, the Beatles sang about love all the time, and then they broke up and hated each other. So clearly their love doesn't work, right? So if you only have love and you have no foundation of truth, your house won't last. So Jesus says this in Matthew 7:24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. It's interesting how storms will come. A lot of us are going through storms right now. The storms will come. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell 
and great was the fall of it. So we cannot have one without the other. You cannot have truth without love and vice versa. In the church, if we only have love, we will conform to the world. And as Brian and Wanda saw in New England this weekend, you're going to see churches with rainbow flags hanging from them and the new social justice thing that's trendy and all these things like to try and make themselves relevant. And so, you know, some churches even have gay ministers today and which completely goes against biblical teaching. So that's where, where the church goes if we just have love. But on the other end of that, if we only have truth and no love, then when someone from that community comes into our church, gay or lesbian or transgender or whatever, they won't feel loved, right? So if we're all about the truth and we don't have the love, then they're not going to want to come in here. So remember that you being a Christian, just that in principle, they already have an image of you that you're against them and you hate them. So you cannot give them any evidence to prove that misinformation, because that's a lie. We're not against them. We are on their side. They just have a different view of how things are. What is ironic today in Christian circles is a lot of Christians will see a, a gay or a transgender person walk down the street and give them a dirty look, and then they'll be super nice and cool to a heterosexual who also is living in sexual sin. Right. And on God's eyes, sin is sin. Just because one's abnormal to us and one is normal to us, sin is sin. We are all sinners in need of a savior. Sin is a natural result of not having God on the throne of your heart. Right. So the first and the second commandments of the Ten Commandments deal with this. It says you have no other gods before me and you can't put an idol there. And I'm convinced that if you have God in proper place of your heart, the sin will naturally just go away over time. It just happens naturally. It is not our job to change people. It is our job to love them. It's God's job to change people. So let Jesus change them and let us love them. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, Christians will know? No, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So then the practical question is, what does love look like? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. Social media comments. Always put that in before you write anything on anything. Make sure it's not arrogant or rude or could come across that way. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Do you know one of the most common ways that Jesus loved people when he came here? I mean, it's so insane that God became a man and walked around us. And me and Jesse were talking about like, man, that would have been so cool to be there and watch him like walk 
and talk and interact with people. But do you know one of the, the main things that he did as he walked this earth and how he loved sinners, because we're all sinners? He shared a meal with them in a home. So this next picture is Jesus just having a meal with people. And I remind you that he was sharing a meal with sinners, with, with prostitutes, with tax collectors, right? So this is how he built a relationship with them. And this is why we, we have food after church, because uh, when you have a meal together, you get to talk with each other and see how your week's going and just and talk about life. So one thing I would, I would recommend is, is if you don't have any non-Christians that you're inviting over for dinner, like pray about if there's somebody in your life that you want to invite for dinner and share God's love through you know, food and, and drink and, and just to invite into your home because that's a great way to invite uh, people who, with opposing views and just love them and just ask them how they're doing. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 5.9, Paul deals with this because he says, don't eat with or associate with like sinners. And in 1 Corinthians 5.9, he goes, now I'm not talking about people outside of the church because then you'd have to leave the world. He goes, I'm talking about people who are in open sin in the church who are refusing to repent and then you shouldn't you know, eat with them. But with people outside of the church who are sinners, we are supposed to um, commune with them and, and love them and, and hang out with them. Jesus did not judge the people that he ate with. He, he loved them, right? He was there to point them to the truth. Like, you know, he said, I, did, I came as a doctor for the sick, you know. I did not come to judge you, but to save you. But Jesus still stood for truth, and at the appropriate times, that would obviously come out. Um, Last night, something came up with one of my kids where they did something really, really bad. I'm not going to let you know which one, but it was really, really bad. And we had to fix this whole situation, and we were up super late. And so me and Vori were talking with this child, and we're like, I can't believe you did this. Like, this, this is not how we behave in this family. This is not the things we do in this family. Have you ever seen your parents doing this in this family? Like, this is not how we act. Well, we as Christians are called to love the world because that's what our father did. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that is how we act in this family. We love the world. That is how we behave because that's how he behaves. Like that's how our heavenly father is. He loves everyone. Even if when we love people, they hate us and they're mean to us and they say, I want nothing to do with you and your Christian ideals and you guys are closed minded and rude and all this different stuff. That doesn't stop us from loving them. Luke 6, 27. But I say to you who hear, and if you've got ears that work and I still have one of them that works, so we've got to pay attention. Love your Enemies, do good to those who hate you and bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Christianity is the only religion that teaches love for your enemies. And it's transforming. And it's not just for them, it's also for you because God doesn't want bitterness and resentment to grow in your heart, especially if you've got someone that's attacking you and hurting you, whether that's in family or outside. 
It's like when you pray for them, that changes your mindset. Like it, it, it just radically changes your mindset to pray for them. So bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Uh, the problem with our culture today when it comes to fighting for truth, and there's a lot of truth fighting out there, is truth is subjective, right? So I always say that when I'm discussing God or certain things uh, with family or friends, that the elephant in the room for me is that the world doesn't believe God exists. So they don't believe in the elephant. And so what I've come to this conclusion and, and how I've told family and friends this is like, well, if God doesn't exist, then I'm morally obligated to think like you. So I validate their morality and their worldview if God doesn't exist. And it's incredible because they say, thank you. Thank you for validating my belief system if God doesn't exist. But on the flip side, if God does exist, then you've got to validate mine. Because if there's an actual person with actual likes and dislikes, then we, who's God, it's probably extremely important that we all do what he says, considering he keeps us alive as we sleep. Because last time I checked, I have no control over that. I breathe all night, and I have no idea how. So the, this is what we see in, in, in our media today and as people fight for ideas. Is there's a lot of truth, right, to, to each side as they're fighting for truth. But one thing you'll notice is that people, when they discuss their truth, they're very mean about the other side. And, and so I think for us, no matter what we intake, whether that's conservative media or the news or different stuff, like, just notice when they talk about the other side that there's a, a snarkiness and a they're an idiot and they don't know and that they, just down talks the other side. And that is not how a Christian is, for that is not who Christ is. Christ loves them. He cares about them. That is not our identity. That's not how we act in this family, right? That's not how we act. We love them. I remember this when I was young about fighting for truth. And I had a period where I kind of, for two years when I was a, a teenager, I kind of walked away kind of from the Lord. And, and then when I came back, I was like, okay, I'm all in. And if I'm all in, I'm going to research everything and read my Bible like crazy and learn about all these religions. And I just became... A, a, a brainiac in the sense of like, I have to know all that I can about this stuff. And as I talked about one message, with knowledge becomes pride. So when you think you know more than other people, you're, you have this like attitude of like, I know more than you. Like, you're an idiot and I know what's going on. So when it came to all my studies, one of the things that I studied was all the religions. And, and so when I studied Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormonism, it was this thing where I was like, I know more about the religion than they do. You know, they, it, I just had this this arrogance about me. And so when those poor people would come to my door and knock on my door trying to spread their truth, I, I just fought with them. And I was like, no, that's just wrong. And Charles Taze Russell did this. And Joseph Smith did this. And this is that. And, and all this like arguing had zero effect on them. It did nothing. It accomplished nothing. They would go away and, and they would, you know, and we'd argue for an hour sometimes. And, and a couple times they put me as like the mark on the neighborhood house where they wouldn't come by my house anymore because I would just argue with them the whole time. And over the years, I got older and wiser and, and just, and God broke my pride. And, my, and, 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 you know, when you break your pride, you become humble. And, 
and you realize like, man, I'm no better than them. And they just have, they've been deceived by, by lies. So they just, but they think they're doing a good thing. And so now when those guys come by, I say, hey man, how's it going? You wanna come inside and take a break, get out of the sun? Like you want a sparkly water, anything I can get you to eat, sit down, take a little, how's your day going? How's it been out there? Like, what's it been like? Are you from here? Like if they're Mormons, a lot of times they're missionaries from a different, what's your town like? Get to know them, ask them how it's going. And then usually after we have this rapport, after a while I'll say, and I, and I do, I commend them. I say, you guys are trying to do a good thing. You could be partying. You could be down in the gas lamp getting hammered right now, but you're going door to door, awkwardly knocking on people's doors to try and preach your truth. I commend you for that. But here's my issue with it, that all the, the cults have the same thing, which is the Judeo-Christian religion has been corrupted. God appeared to me, one man, whether that's Joseph Smith, Charles Russell, Muhammad, it's always the same story. And I have the new enlightened way, and now they're preaching their version of the truth, which is a variation of Christianity. So that's why we have to know the truth. We have to have a foundation of why they're wrong theologically, and, and, and we know the true path, and you have to know why the Jehovah's Witness Bible doesn't work in Greek and, and these things. But if you can't convey that in a loving manner and show honest care for that person who's in your living room, they're not going to listen to you. And now I see these guys, after years and years of fighting for truth and having zero effect, I see these guys walk out of my home now, and, and at least they're pondering it, and it gives them a chance to take this all in. Love is the only way that someone's going to hear the truth. Because with all the fighting on both sides of the issues, guess what? They're not making any converts. It's just like both sides are just digging into the trenches more, and it's like, it's just... There's no winning, right? So th there is just no winning in the digging in without love when we're fighting for truth. Now, a person that you talk to about truth, they might get angry and they might get mean, right? And they might not like what you're saying. And you got to remember that, that they're deceived and behind that angry look and frustrated person, even if they're raising their voice, is a soul and a person that Jesus loves and died for. And remember, the greatest opponent of the Christian faith, which was Paul, became our greatest theologian and advocate. So God can change somebody. And so we have to look at them not as the enemy, but as a potential convert. You know? And there's all these people's testimonies, whether they're gang members or bikers or just hedonists. And they're like, man, this guy loved me and he told me the truth. And, and like I said, it's not our job to convert them. That's the Holy Spirit's job, which is awesome because that takes all the weight off of us. Like, I don't have to change their mind. Like, but if I pray for them, that's how you can change things because it's not you who changes their mind. It's the Holy Spirit over time by his drawing them to Christ. To give you guys a simple example of how like, love can change things, uh, in a second I'll have Brandon play a video and what I want you to notice, and it's just a viral video, it's not Christian or anything, but what I want you to know about this video is this guy was just playing a prank. So it's a barber who was just playing a prank on his clients, and during the haircut, um, he would just give him a kiss on the forehead. 
And it's so interesting to see the reaction of all these men. And, and guys, we all get a haircut. We rarely say much. We just sit there with a stern look on our face. And you know, we're men, and we don't open up, and we don't talk about stuff. Um, but I just want you to notice the power of just human touch and kindness and love and how it just breaks uh, down the wall. So, Brandon, if you can play that video. <laughs> No, he doesn't tell them first. And notice their reactions are almost all the same. <laughs> it's so interesting how just a little effect. This is why COVID was so hard, because you couldn't give people hugs. And just the ability to give someone a hug and tell them that you love them, it, it just has such an impact. Um, with that video in mind, I, I want to read to you 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, we don't kiss each other in our culture on the cheeks or on different, it's just not our culture, right? But this is, um, how, we give handshakes, we give hugs, we, we, it's like, so think about how you, as a person, when you, when you meet somebody and you're talking to them, even just a smile, like saying, hey, you know, it's like we have the ability. That barber just like made those guys like laugh and, and just crack up and, and smile. And we all have the ability by our actions um, to bring smiles to other people. Jesus, as our big brother, has showed us how to live. He gave his life for his enemies while we were in that state. He didn't wait for us to get good, and then he's like, now I'll die for you. He died for us while we were still enemies. So Romans 5, 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. What Paul is saying is, is you're not going to, you would only die for a good person, you know, because you're sacrificing so much. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this is our new identity. So this is what walking this out, this truth in love. Like if, if we love people the way that Christ loved them, we will love them even if they're mean or they're all this different stuff. We'll, we'll just pray for them um, and we'll want what's best for them no matter what the circumstances are right now. Ephesians 4.15, I'm going to read it again. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Truth in love, this is how we live out our identity. And that's why the picture I chose for this message, which shows, you know, a little kid walking is probably his dad, but, you know, it could be a big brother, Right. So they're dressed the same, they're walking, it's like this whole thing. We look to Jesus, like, how did you treat people? How did, how did you interact with different people and, and show compassion? And so that's why you got to read your Bible. You could just read the Gospels, honestly. If you just read the Gospels and nothing else, you'd be set, because you have the cream of the crop. You have God becoming a man and showing us, by example, how to live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so honored to be your children, that we were your enemies, and because of the cross, 
and your sacrifice for us while we were enemies, your love drove us to your family. So, Father, I pray for everyone in this church that your love through us would draw others to your family. We would not abandon truth, but we would not abandon love for the sake of truth. That truth in love is how we should approach every situation. Give us grace, give us peace, give us kindness, give us a soft-spoken tongue that changes so much, God. Let us have hope for this world. Let us not give up on this world. Let us come to your feet and pray for revival, God, because you want the best for this world and for everyone. So God, thank you for this time and bless the rest of this evening. In Jesus' name. Thank you for tuning in to Renewing Hope Church. May God's love for you renew your hope today and may his face shine upon you and give you peace. If you need prayer or would like to reach out to us, you can do so at our website, renewinghope.church. Until next time.